the keys there oh i can't hear you red is that me or is that you nope that was me forgot i had my <laughs> mic off no i was saying no continue experimenting with the music uh i, I personally like the more slow melodic stuff uh, then uh i mean i enjoy our, our the intros that we have by default i like the pianos though Not monetization lie. idea for elon if you're if you're like a twitter super premium you can grab from Spotify any song you want. Oh, that would be awesome, yeah. That'd be a banger. That would be awesome. I mean, it's basically like you get to, and I've thought about this many times, like you get to choose your own walk-up song, you know? It's like, how do we want to start this space? Maybe you want to have like the, the NFL intro or what is it like the the primetime soundtrack or maybe you dun, wanna, dun, dun, dun. yeah exactly maybe you want to do like ufc or like wwe style stuff i don't know but i like the idea we got to have a shade specific soundtrack at some point invest, <laughs> invest good money so all the videos have a consistent shade sound theme yeah i'm just sharing uh sharing this twitter space out with uh, our communities and just so get some extra people in here. Good to see uh, you, Rio. Thanks for your comment. Yeah, so this will be a this will be a really interesting uh, space. I know we say that about everything. We're obviously biased. We think <laughs> what we do is pretty interesting, um, but we haven't given. Uh, I, I feel like we haven't done a silk focused Twitter space in a while, and kind of considering Silk is the flagship product of the Shady ecosystem, we got to give it some additional love. So this will be a fun one. Uh, be able to give some updates on like Silk stats. Uh, we've got some updates for Silk being further integrated, um, like new pairs, new collateral uh, for Shade Swap and Shade Lend, and then um, some other interesting updates regarding uh, – some of the other external integrations that we're going to be working on too. So yeah, Carter, I don't know if you wanted to kick this off with anything in particular. Um, yeah. You know, I try, I try every week or so to, to pull shade swap stats um, until we get all of that stuff displayed natively on the, on, on the app, try and pull stats for collateral backing and like circulating supply and stuff and how that's changed. Um, one of the biggest things that I, I won't uh, go into all the details unless uh, you really want me to, but one of the biggest things that I've noticed is that, you know, we set out probably a year ago or so. Um, and I know you're aware of it uh, with this kind of idea of operation touch and go wherever like, you know, very um, 
aware of the different types of risks associated with various collateral, whether it be bridge collateral, whether it be liquid staking derivatives of a particular provider, whether it be centralized uh, tokens, whether it be stable coins. Um, and I think in particular, the, the things we we're mostly focusing on with Operation Touch and Go were uh, centralized assets. I mean, the same can be said with bridged assets, but centralized assets and probably most specifically talking about centralized stable coins uh, being backed. And I think we set out originally, uh, I was digging through uh, the forums earlier and trying to find it. Um, I want, oh, here we go. Yeah, I think it was like 50% was the goal for like first year or like below. I think it might have been 40. Yeah, below 40%. And currently we are at less than 9%, right about 8.6%. Wow. Uh, Way ahead of schedule. Yeah, yeah. So that was just something that kind of stood out to me. Um, you know, obviously, as markets are changing, people are rotating out of heavier stablecoin positions. So this is somewhat to be expected. Um, it's just something interesting to one. Kind of one question people. on that one: How much do you think the one percent interest rate facilitated that movement out of those vaults? I think it's pretty minimal. Um, there's interest charged with most. Uh, well, I mean, I guess. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I feel like if you're a borrower, um, one percent interest is still incredibly reasonable, um, and the borrowing rates for stable coins are a lot higher than that across the cosmos. I don't think it's that much, um, and it's also kind of a deferred payment, so people don't have to pay that debt. Obviously, it impacts your uh, your LTV, but um, I don't think it's that much of like a short-term uh, pressure, at least, just because it's a deferred payment. It's not like something you have to pay up front. I, I have a theory, though, that we attracted a couple of larger players that probably hunt around for 0%. Like, they're essentially in, they're interest rate arbitrage players that like, okay, if I can earn 0% interest, mint out something, convert it back to USDC and yield farm somewhere else, then like, I'm making a killing. and you can't get better than 0%. So I think once we jumped to 1%, we we saw some exodus. I don't think it was necessary. I guess you can pay people Honestly. to borrow. Maybe that's lower than 1%. That's or true. That is true. Two. That's like uh that's like kind of anchor style <laughs> right there. <laughs> yeah, but it was so anyways, it's it was been interesting. ST Adams still the largest collateral backing. It's about I pulled these numbers a few days ago. It's about 40 a little over 42% collateral backing of Silk is ST Atom right now, with the next highest being Stake Secret, uh, right around 26%. So it's been kind of cool to see. Uh, I mean, already liquid staking derivatives, that just those two alone, that makes up more than two thirds of Silk's collateral backing is liquid staking derivatives, which follows the assumption that we, we made early on that liquid staking derivatives will be a preferred type of collateral. Uh, for CDP stable coins. Um, but yeah, um, as far as new pairings and new utility, one of the things that I'm personally really uh, excited for us is being able to onboard new types of stable coins and support for new types of stable coins um, in the cosmos. And 
the ones I'm most excited about that we're uh, looking to support recently, they're not necessarily new, um, but really excited about getting USDC Noble uh, added to ShadeSwap and getting that supported um, on Shade. There's a whole bunch of stuff that kind of gets unlocked with adding USDC Noble. The, the Noble team has been crushing it with integrations and being able to provide better on-ramping, off-ramping uh, for the Cosmos. And so getting that pair added is kind of a no-brainer at this point. So really excited about that. Um, and then another one that's kind of uh, been a little bit more elusive in the, the Cosmos that I'm personally really excited about uh, seeing support for is USC um, from Carbon. Uh, anyone who's used the uh, Carbon eco or used uh, the Demex ecosystem, um, you know, they've got a really awesome DeFi ecosystem over there and they've got a native stablecoin USC on Carbon. And so um, we had the, what was it? The, the secret perps trading um, competition that happened on Demex uh, that was really successful. And um, there's obviously demand um, for their products, especially people who are wanting to speculate on secret and secret assets. And so being able to grow that relationship a little bit more with the Carbon and Demex team is um, something we're really excited about. Um, so yeah, two new potential stablecoin pairings come into come into Shade Swap, and that's a. Uh, I, I don't know. I ha I kind of haven't made up my mind about how to think about this. Like as as markets turn to more, um, let's say risk on positions. You know, how do we expect the the markets for stable coins to potentially shift? Because like generally you would assume that the the market cap domination of these stable coins would relatively go down or would go down relatively to the dominance of other volatile assets. Um, not necessarily saying that the nominal amounts will go down, but I'm really interested to see kind of how the, the landscape for um the landscape for a stablecoin appetite changes as we move to risk on. And then, I mean, we're also getting to the point where, you know, when, when ShadeSwap launched, we originally were only supporting Axlar bridged assets. Um, and we're at the point now where uh, we have connections to other or using other bridge providers like Composable with being able to bridge uh, Caso. And now with, um, you know, getting USDC Noble added, I believe they're still using Axelar's. Uh, are they using Axelar under the hood? Yeah, GMP. I think they I are. Believe so yeah. Okay. 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 Um, yeah, it's going to be really cool to get other uh, get other types of these bridge stats. We'll have USDC Axelar and USDC Noble. So um, wormhole, be wormhole is also coming to Cosmos. Pretty. pretty yep. I'm pretty sure. Which that's going to be. That's going to be like all bets are off. There's there's so many assets that have never had a chance to come to Cosmos that are tied to Wormhole. I think that's going to be fascinating. I'm assuming Osmosis is going to put a lot of chips on the table to go over to go after Wormhole assets. And Osmosis is really killing it right now. It's been great to watch their, their growth arc. It's really net benefit for all of Cosmos that Osmosis continues to grow. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, we've uh, we've kind of talked about this with other types of bridge providers like uh, Nomic with their Bitcoin bridge, you know, Osmosis. And I think Kujira were quick movers on that front, um, getting those supported. And I know we said we were going to be a little bit 
more uh, conservative and wait to see how the adoption curve plays out, um, how the security of the bridge plays out. Um, and so there are a few assets that are kind of moving through those proving grounds. Um, and at least Nomic, I believe they're, they're going to be dropping some of their fees uh, pretty soon. And um, I think it's been what, like six months or so since they launched. Yeah. The volume on the bridge is like super low from what I've seen. So I think not moving too quick on that was not, it was, was it was a pretty solid decision. Um, yeah. So something like wormhole though is like very established at this point as quite the track record, not like a perfect track record, but definitely a, a big one with a lot of opportunity behind it. Yeah. And then we've also been talking with, uh, I mean, being able to support gravity bridged assets. Uh, there were a few teams that are interested in getting their assets supported on shade swap and they are, uh, you know, currently using gravity bridge. So exploring, being able to support those assets as well. And, you know, we're, we're, effectively reaching the point where we are officially kind of breaching outside of that axlr bridged asset only uh phase which is which is really cool to see you know we expected this to eventually happen whenever um our growth got to a certain point so um kind of cool to see that unwinding or or unfolding in front of us i I do think an interesting fork in the road though is as always, like, what is your canonical asset that you're focused on? Because imagine your osmosis and wormhole, wormhole comes. Do you, how much do you shift away from Axelar to wormhole in terms of incentives and trying to win that market? Like there is concentrated liquidity naturally and they have volume. So you'll, you'll, you'll accrue liquidity and volume accordingly. Um, but like strategically, you have a finite finite amount of resources that you have to spread across a variety of bridges that have the same asset with with you know with different bridges so i'm going to be watching osmosis very carefully to see kind of how they go about that challenge i think shape protocol has the unique opportunity to like chase the opportunities that maybe aren't being as chased by larger players or like if if a competitor is like really spreading themselves super thin maybe then strategically it's actually better to stay focused more so on one bridge as opposed to many bridges. It's, a, it's an interesting strategic problem. Yeah, I mean, and Axelar has to date been, um, you know, a great canonical bridge provider, uh, you know, for shade swap. But as we look to continue to bring more assets on, whether it's new stable coins, whether it's, sorry, my dog is, uh, let <laughs> me get my attention. Uh, whether it's, um, yeah, whether it's trying to bring new assets on for shade swap, whether it's trying to bring new collateral on uh, for for silk for upcoming products, um, you know, eventually you're going to either need to or or want to uh, start looking at being able to support other uh, bridge providers. Um, one of the other things that I wanted to kind of talk about, um, don't want to spend too much time on this, but like talking about additional. Uh, pairings and utility. There are a few upcoming um, vaults that we're really excited to be launching soon. They're kind of contingent on just some some uh, technical preparation, uh, working with third parties, but we're really excited to be able to get Tia added as uh, collateral for Silk upcoming. And um, additionally, we'll be able to add support for some of the Tia liquid staking derivatives as well, um, which is going to be really, really awesome. Um, it's been great to kind of 
kind of mind blowing to see the growth that T has had thus far um, and how much, yeah, how, how pervasive they've been with uh, being able to grow inside and outside the cosmos. And so really excited to be able to support them uh, further. And there are some other assets that we're looking to get supported on uh, as collateral options for Silk, just waiting to get some of these assets uh, supported on shade swap markets first. But the, the primary one we're looking to get um, supported as a collateral option for Silk uh, coming up soon is, is Tia. That's one I'm, I mean, Again, yeah. I, I'm a little biased. I'm I'm super excited about it to you. And we're in a good spot on that. Ben Protocol has officially added support for Celestia. So in terms of like base base asset, that's in a, a good place um, for for Shade Line. Like obviously we still need to get the pools maybe spun up slightly deeper and, and make sure we're in a good spot there. And then the actual Oracle and redemption rate, like we're in the process of getting that properly mapped out. We're also you know, in communication with the Milk Tia team as well. That's like the interesting thing within the Celestia ecosystem right now is Stride made a really big play, chucked a lot of incentives, um, and it's working really well, but there's still, um, you know, Milk Tia still has a solid amount of adoption too. Yep, agree. I mean, and from Shade's perspective, you know, we... I guess similarly to to bridge providers, you know, as a a place that's making markets uh, for assets um, or or helping facilitate trading uh, between assets, you know, you don't want to be, I guess, too biased towards the liquid staking providers um, that you're supporting. Um, You know, it would make sense for us to be able to support both Stride and Milktia, and you know, if there's any other dominant liquid staking derivatives for celestia that are seeing really good traction and volume then it makes sense for us to support those as well um but like carter said there's just uh you know with the liquid staking derivatives we need reliable redemption uh rate feeds and we need base asset uh price feeds and so so those things are all being worked out um okay now that i got the pairings and utility out of the way the thing (laughs) i really want to talk about today is uh the fina card launch that's on the horizon carter i don't know if you've seen their recent announcements uh, that they have oh man very much so it got me i was like almost shaking in my chair i was so freaking excited that Uh, people could technically use the card yeah baby so yeah so one of the things the biggest thing uh we were wanting to talk about today is the upcoming utility uh for silk the uh, fina card launch on the horizon and for anyone who isn't aware of Fina is, I would go ahead right now, look up Fina Cash on Twitter, follow their Twitter, and then their website is also Fina.cash. Super simple. Um, but Fina is a mobile wallet that was originally developed to be um, um, very secret network focused, but they're um, broadening its, their support for other Cosmos app chains um, and other Cosmos chains as they've seen uh, demand for it. But they're also a Web3 debit card provider. Um, so obviously for Secret Network, their presence uh, and continued development of the mobile wallet has been very beneficial for uh, the Secret Network D apps and the users who kind of want this premier mobile wallet experience. But in my opinion, they're they're like a sleeping giant awaiting kind of an, awaiting in the shade, so to speak, uh, with their upcoming uh, Web3 debit card launch. Um, for anyone who didn't see the announcement that I'm referencing, if you if you go to Fina's Twitter account, it's their pin post, but Basically, 
um, this FINA card, this Web3 debit card, you'll be able to load up uh, your crypto assets onto this card and be able to spend the value of those tokens um, at any place that the card is accepted. And this is a Visa card. So internationally, anywhere that Visa is accepted, you could spend this. Um, and the reason we're so excited about this is that uh, is that FINA is integrating Silk as a payment option with the debit card. So in practice, you would be able to go to the Shade app website, go to the card tab, load up your card, sign up for a card and load up your card with Silk and then be able to spend that Silk anywhere that accepts Visa. And I hope everyone that's listening now and listening to the recording recognizes the the, the like value and the the, the milestone that, that is kind of being accomplished here. One of the original things we said, and we've also said like we have to obviously change change the change the goals here, but like one of one of our top goals was to be able to get be able to spend silk out in the wild. Go and spend silk at a coffee shop. Go and spend silk at a restaurant. Go and spend silk to um to do whatever, you know? It's your money. It's your choices. And the beauty of this integration is that you'll be able to have that spendability of silk while maintaining your privacy. And so this is like not only a really awesome integration and unlocking of utility for silk, but this is also like a monumental milestone for crypto in general. Um, As far as I know, there is no other privacy preserving stablecoin spending that you can like way to spend privacy preserving stablecoins or spend stablecoins in a privacy uh, preserving way. So this is, this is super awesome. So anyways, their announcement was that the first batch of FINA cards are going to be available globally and the domiciling currency of the card will be Euro. So basically, um, you know, whenever you top up your card, it'll kind of be evaluated in Euro and whenever you pay, um, you know, there'll be some assumed conversion of Euro to whatever your currency is. Um, and you'll be able to top up your prepaid card with secret, 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 and silk. Uh, the live price of the token will be converted to Euro and top up in your prepaid card. Applying for the Visa prepaid card requires you to stake $2,000 worth of FINA into the staking contract. Availability is limited for this first batch of silver tier cards uh, with 100 cards in the first batch. Um, yeah, that's. I, I feel like I read this announcement when it first came out and it didn't hit me at first and I reread it uh, last night and I was like, oh, shit, it's happening. Um, <laughs> I mean, it's amazing to have like, I think the part that I really appreciate about Finna is that it's self-custodial. There, there's a lot of debit cards out there in crypto that are very much not self-custodial. Uh, but the fact that you're interacting with the smart contract, you have full control over, you know, topping up your debit card. And really the only KYC custodial component of the entire process is when you're actually making purchases, which which at some point, of course, we want to do. We want to do better than that. But to be able to have that level of control over your funds and your interactions, I think, is like absolutely absurd. I don't think I've, I think it's incredibly innovative that that's how they've designed it tied with the privacy and I think from Shade's side, to be able to have DeFi be one click away 
from spending, I think it's completely novel. I, I think I think Tara glimpsed, he peered behind the veil and saw that as something truly remarkable and special. And I think a lot of DeFi has gotten extremely focused on, I guess there's like three different types of consumers. I'm going to use like some weird words here. I think there's like the industrial consumer, your retail retail consumer, and then like your everyday consumer. And like your your industrial grade user is someone moving around hundreds of thousands of dollars. They're a DeFi power user. They have a lot of capital on chain. Your your retail user is more of your speculative, uh, smaller size player, um, highly experimental, um, not super risk averse, um, and is just like a, a really big like creative experimenter. So you know DeFi has serviced kind of those industrial grade players and focused on those. That's where the majority of volume comes from. And retail, of course, is like in the mix too. Primarily because of the permissionless nature, they're allowed to experiment in ways that traditional finance just doesn't let you do, right? But kind of this third kind of type of user, which is just like the everyday consumer, is is so far away from all those other DeFi opportunities and vice versa. The gap has been so large. I have to go bridge my stuff back to Ethereum, pay all these gas fees, and then bridge back to Coinbase, and then bridge it back to my bank. And after all that is said and done, now I can finally go and, you know, use my crypto, use my yield and go do something useful. So much so that I think most people like their wealth is fully trapped and I'll say trapped by choice <laughs> within the world of crypto. But but something like Finna, something like Silk, something like Shade Protocol, we, we suddenly bridge that gap. We, we bridge that gap and, and to be able to you know, pull out a card, look someone in the eyes and be like, yeah, like I earn, yeah, I'm earning like 44% yield right now on this DeFi opportunity. And I've been converting that yield and that actually just bought dinner for you just now. I, I cannot wait to have that moment. Um, and then like the cool part about Shade Protocol is because we've been so first principle focused, this would be different if it was on a totally transparent chain, like still novel, still special. But different, different in the sense that those that those financial protections are not there. But we've we've had this vision, your money, your data, your decisions. We've had that vision for two plus years at this point. And it's it's so tough because building is brutally difficult. And you have people say, like, oh, like, you know, when testnet, when this, when that. Meanwhile, we have a whiteboard with like eight projects happening in parallel, and we're seeing them all inch closer and closer and closer to the finish line. Um, weeks and weeks and weeks of of work and coordination and communication and and calls and blood and sweat and sometimes tears. Um, but I, I think Finna represents the best of what crypto can be, which is bridging the world of permissionless, unstoppable private finance to everyday consumers. Yeah, and I didn't even mention the other benefits of the card. I'm I'm on Fina's website right now, and uh, when when you stake the Fina, so it requires two thousand dollars worth of Fina tokens staking in the contract, you get ten percent staking APY and three percent in spending rewards. So you're getting, which is better than most of the cards, uh, like crypto or debit cards that I know of. Which, anyways. I'm super excited about it. And we've also, I know the one that I'm going to get is going to have the Silk logo on it. 
if you go on their website, you'll see it. They've got a uh, a special card with the the Silk logo on it um, as a part of our integration. Um, so most likely something for yourself. I doubt you'll be <laughs> I doubt you'll be showing this off to people, but at least for me, you know, put a huge smile on my face every time I go to spend it uh, spend with it. Um, yeah, so I'm super, super excited about that. Um, as far as other utility and things that we're looking at, um, you know, we have talked about some of the other grant projects that we've got ongoing um, that I'll be able to generate more revenue and utility for both Shade and Silk in the ecosystem. Um, you know, as a part of some of the other collaborations we're looking to do with other blockchains and other ecosystems, we're continuing to look to get uh, silk added to other markets so that silk can be utilized uh, throughout the cosmos. It is important to keep in mind that, you know, as silk or any of, um, or, or shade or any private tokens that are on secret network, whenever those go to other blockchains, like let's say you wanted to trade shade on uh, osmosis or you wanted to trade shade or silk on Kujira, as soon as that goes to the other blockchain, um, they're no longer private assets. So that is something to keep in mind whenever you are um, looking to utilize Shade and Silk outside the, the ecosystem. But I don't know, have you have you thought about like, I mean, ultimately we want to be able to provide within the Shade ecosystem, um, this native utility, whether it be borrowing, uh, leverage trading, whether, uh, you know, you know, providing liquidity, making markets, whatever. We want people to be able to do that natively in a privacy preserving manner. But, um, you know, what are your thoughts on like the value of that also being outside, you know, like the, the value of being able, of Silk being able to go and uh, be used in some of these public markets? That's a, that's a great question. I, I think that there's a really, big opportunity tied to providing a quote-unquote safe yield um, that's, that's, that's more effective and, and greater than what traditional finance can offer. And there's obviously limits to that concept. Things like Anchor, where there was, you know, ponds, essentially like some unsustainable economics baked into the system that generated artificially high yields that attracted depositors into like a very risky system, right? But if you, if you drill down deeper into what was at the heart of the growth around UST was people want to be able to, within their volatile world, go back to stable coins. And then with those stable coins, earn a yield, right? That's, that's really, it's some, and it's something we all do right now, right? We have dollars, euros, yens in bank accounts that generate yield and generally speaking we'd like for them to generate more yield we'd, we'd like for them um to we'd like to get the best bang for our buck and the thing with decentralized finance is it totally opens the door to permissionless competition right um a money market DeFi product is technically competing with like a bank yield right there's Obviously, there's different risk profiles, but as a whole, like the competitive landscape of finance is just wide, wide open. And so I think 
the opportunity there is to understand why Anchor and UST grew so well outside of just the unsustainable yield and kind of embrace that. Like, how can we bring yield back to silk in a sustainable way that makes it very attractive to buy silk, not just for its volatility resistance, not just for its inflation resistant properties, but also because it's an extremely useful asset that you can passively earn from, right? And I think we're, we're already nailing like the finna side of things in terms of once that's here and that's more distributed, the utility of silk grows. We already have some yield opportunities, but it's in, it's in you know, shade swap and it's more volatile and the earn pool is not you know, as user-friendly as it could be. So I guess my prediction would be is like post money market, post liquidity order book, um, post governance, you know, we have like the eight things happening in parallel right now. I think, I think we have all the pieces we need to start really lasering in on silk adoption. Um, it's the reason that we went and built a decentralized exchange. It's the reason we're having to go and build a money market from scratch. It's the reason we've integrated so tightly with Finna is because you have to build an economy around these primitives. If you just have a decentralized stablecoin with no extra utility, no extra ability to accrue yield from it, without good promises of stability, you know, you're not very differentiated. You're not very competitive. Um, but we've built a very <laughs> competitive set of primitives that are going to be supporting Silk's journey. And every day that ticks by, the resume for Silk stability continues to grow. Um, most stable coins die. There's, there's a power law distribution of where around, you know, 80% of stable coins eventually just essentially fail to scale. And the other 20% kind of have their explosive growth where they go past, you know, like the 200 million mark. We're still part of the 80%. And what keeps me up at night is how do we get to that 20%? And that's precisely all the pieces of puzzle that we've been pulling together in the last year and a half is to allow for that liquidity and that momentum to, to kind of push us out of this current kind of stagnant silk growth period. Uh, but you can't do it with all of those supporting primitives and, and utilities. You can't do it just by only being a stable coin and just chucking incentives on every different decks. Like the, the days of that type of growth strategy um, are less and less sustainable unless you start with an insane amount of purchasing power. And even then there's an argument like that's maybe not your best strategy to do it. So I feel very optimistic about Silk's future at this point. There's a lot of work ahead of us, but I think we've we've set the stage really well. Yeah, I'm trying to think. I don't I don't know of any stable coins that have kind of been built in a in a vacuum like you're describing, at least that are available in the cosmos right now. Um maybe like USDC, Axelar native at or like USDC Noble, but like Silk has the shade ecosystem. USK has the Kujira ecosystem. USC has Demex ecosystem. IST maybe is the closest, but they're, I mean, it's built on Agoric and they've got access to, you know, all these other, any other applications that are built on, uh, you know, the Agoric smart contract platform. Maybe IST is the closest example of this. Um, but yeah, I mean, to your point, we don't really, we're not observing that phenomenon anymore where you're just trying to emit for growth, you know? 
Yeah, I, I think I think in a bull market, the equation changes a little bit, um, but you have to be very careful with it. Like I think the the DeFi summer of you know 2020, 2021, there, there, you know those those lessons were kind of learned. Although history is bound to repeat itself, there's always unfortunately new users and new investors that come into crypto for the first time, and so that's. That's an unfortunate part of the industry that probably will never end. But in terms of the people that are trying to build blue chip, sustainable DeFi ecosystems that are built on top of organic growth, I think most of those people have realized at this point that that strategy is not in the best interest of the token holders, not in the best interest of the of the of the users. Yeah, I was trying to. Uh, I'm not on DeFi Llama often. I was trying to see where Silk currently sits uh, as far as stable coins. I believe it's the second largest non-US dollar peg stable coin in the world. In terms of uh, decentralized stable coins, probably an important asterisk to add into that. Um, <laughs> I think we were like 70 or 80th overall. Just what, uh, where would you, do you know where you would look that up? Like... Um, oh, yes, you should be able to look up stable. Oh, they, have a, they have a stables tab. All right, cool. scroll down to like 60 to 80th range. I think we're somewhere in the mix there, which is kind of back to that power law distribution of we have not hit our, our growth arc on silk quite yet. Yep. There are 150 stable coins reported, and we're at 79, rank 79 right now, as far as market cap. Um, Anyways, going down that tangent. Um, yeah, if any, if anyone wants to come up here and uh, chat, or if anyone has any questions about Silk, um, about what's going on with the Fina card launch, if you have any, I uh, just want to chat about shade stuff. Feel free to request. Connor will bring you up. Um, but yeah, when you think about while we're waiting to see if anyone wants to come up here and uh, speak, Carter. Over the next few months, I know it might be harder to to really focus in on like the next few days or even a week. Over the next few months, what are you most excited about um, in relation to Silk? Well, it's a good question. You know, there are so many things that are you know obviously happening in the ecosystem. Uh, drilling down on one specific part uh, can some <laughs> you know sometimes be a little bit hard, but. I do think that there's some turning point in there. And I guess this isn't can't guarantee for the next couple of months. Um, but I think the combination of new vaults for Silk plus liquidity order book, I think starts to get really interesting. I think as long as we're kind of stuck in this constant product world, where we're not able to kind of organically attract um, liquidity providers in relation to volume, um, I think that's kind of like a tough paradigm for Silk's growth. So I, I actually think that the efficiency of the trading around Silk is like actually mission critical. Um, but separate from that piece of the puzzle, yeah, I think adding in more vaults is is super exciting. And I think we've been very careful and very risk averse. And I think that's the right way to do it. We're not in like a, a rush where Silk is not a tool for DGENs. It's it's the money of the future and we're going to treat it with, with great respect. Um, and I'm just excited to see things like uh, Celestia and, um, you know, 
the different liquid staking tokens around that starting to get onboarded because I think we every time we pull in a user to yep. shade lend, it's Next just, just you, get, you get sucked into the whole the whole ecosystem. Yeah, I think a user of shade lend is most likely a user of the other parts of the application. Um, just because you know if you're borrowing silk, you're likely going to be wanting to do something with that silk. So that would require you to either deposit in the earn pool or go to shade swap and pair it or, you know, what have you. Um, yeah. As far as adding vaults, I, I'm right there with you. And, you know, specifically looking at the breakdown of collateral, obviously noticing that liquid staking derivatives make up a, uh, a majority portion of the collateral backing. Um, you can make the assumption that people are interested in, uh, leverage staking, right? They want to they yep. want to leverage their uh, position while retaining their uh, staking rewards. And and to me, right now at least, Celestia is kind of like a no brainer. Um, adding Celestia liquid staking derivatives. Obviously, these liquid staking derivatives are new, so their liquidity in the market is a little bit lower. So you still have to be conservative with the amount of silk that you allow uh, to uh, to be minted out against it. But I think. Um, yeah, there's a lot of traction with, uh, luckily, Cosmos uh, native assets, and that works really well for adding them as uh, collateral for Silk. And we've seen great growth, too. Like, I think the wrapped STE is, has done steadily, steadily doing better and better. Secret Secret is starting to see some great usage as the most popular non-LST asset, which is... Super exciting to see. Oh, I, I should say non non LST in Cosmos, right? So that, that's that's seeing great growth. And Stake Secret too is such a such a cool synergy, just because it's a you know Shape Protocol product that generates revenue streams for Shape Protocol. So the more Stake Secret in the uh, Shade Lend Vault, kind of the more that Shade Protocol benefits too. So I'm curious. We've had we've had a lot of people ask about this. Ask about the Stake Secret Vault. Brad, maybe you could walk through like what it takes for that vault to get expanded and maybe kind of the risk framework in your head when, when we approach that. Yeah, I'm happy to go over that. Um, so it kind of goes back to what I was saying about the, the Celestia liquid staking derivatives. Um, one of the things that we take into account is um, the liquidity that is available to trade uh, for these assets. Um, and that's an important thing to take into consideration because all loans that are taken out are subject to be liquidated if their uh, position's LTV exceeds the max LTV. And so uh, we need to be sure that um, the, the depositors in the earn pool are able to sell that liquidated collateral within um, a certain amount of, uh, of price impact. Um, and so... With Stake Secret, its primary markets, actually, I think its only markets, if I'm not mistaken, are on ShadeSwap. And right now, if a user was looking to get that Stake Secret and uh, route it back to Silk, we could do that with you know normal small amounts of, um, like people receiving small amounts of liquidated collateral uh, pro rata from liquidations. It's not really hard. Like we have a Silk Stake Secret pool. That pool can facilitate those sales back directly back to Silk if they wanted to redeposit uh, without issue. Um, the concern is whenever you have larger uh, movements in price. So if larger chunks of collateral get liquidated and you have 
um, a large amount of that liquidated collateral trying to be sold at, you know, in very short intervals, um, you know, it'd be harder to be able to facilitate the sale of that back to stable coins within a certain um, percent price impact because there is a there is a profit range for uh, depositors in the earn pool. They earn a certain uh, percent discount on the, the collateral that they're receiving in exchange for silk. And so, um, you know, we we really have to be able to keep uh, the price impact for selling that collateral back to back to stable coins under whatever that discount is. Um, so in regards to stake secret and um, being able to get that back to silk in our current scenario without the liquidity order book, um, the best way we can increase the, the silk allowance caps is to be able to increase the depth of liquidity for stake secret on ShadeSwap. And primarily the, the easiest way for us to do that is through the, the secret secret stake secret pool. It uh, utilizes shade swaps, asymmetric concentrated liquidity curves. So we have much greater depth of trading um, for stake secret there. And then being able to go from secret back to stable coins is, is much easier. Secret's much more liquid token uh, than stake secret. So um, TLDR, uh, effectively, we need to build liquidity for stake secret. Um, a little bit more before we can reasonably increase the allowance caps. And what type of target is there? Like um, every X additional, say a hundred thousand dollars worth of liquidity represents Y amount of additional silk. Cause really it's like allowances are like a function of liquidity at the end of the day. Uh, I don't have those numbers off the top of my head, but, um, and I would also have to kind of look at, how the math of the stable swap works because you know it's a little bit different than traditional concentrated liquidity um but yeah because it's i, I want to say it's like 30 or 50 times more uh effective than traditional xyk pools so yeah I, let me get back to you on, <laughs> on the, <laughs> it, was, it was a challenge question off the top of your head yeah, yeah, but the, the I guess like if the community, secret, for instance, if it got up to like a million dollars or even like one point five million, yes, if you had to like broadside of a barn, yep, how much that would open up? Uh, what are we at right now? Like six hundred k. Yep. Uh, I mean, reasonably, you could probably up that another, like two hundred thousand, maybe, um, or so. Yeah, just the estimate um yeah being able to deepen that and then the other really awesome thing is whenever the liquidity order book comes we'll be able to have like significant depth of trading directly between silk and stake secret so you won't have to worry about taking stake secret and trying to route the, and go into secret secret and then taking that to usdc and then trying to take that back to silk um which would probably be like the cheapest route to do that right now um, like if you're really trying to maximize or minimize your price impacts um, and maximize your expected outputs, um, yeah, when the liquidity order book comes, we'll be able to facilitate much, much greater depth. And, yeah, with like very minimal or potentially even zero percent price impact. Uh, yeah, I so. can't wait. So, it's, so it is really true that the growth of silk 
gets uncapped with liquidity order book in many ways. To a to a very decent degree. Now it's going to obviously require markets to be made between those two assets. Um, but with what we just said in mind, like there is, yeah, I mean, you can look at take a look at other uh, dexes that have implemented concentrated liquidity and the the amount of revenue that can be generated in trade fees for people who make good markets. Uh, yeah, they'll be incentivized well. <laughs> to say the least. Uh, yeah, hopefully uh, hopefully, all that I just said uh, made sense to maybe one or two people, at least. <laughs> I'm, tra- I'm tracking with you. I'm tracking yeah. with you. TLDR, we need more stake secret liquidity and the best uh, pair to do that with right now, given current circumstances is secret secret, stake secret. So we can do, you know, we can increase rewards on our part. Uh, you know, if we really wanted to drive up liquidity quicker, um, you know, that could, I guess, kind of be done with uh, increasing incentives. But yeah, it's cool to see how much the secret network community is hungry for that vault. Though, like, whenever you see a vault completely maxed out, it's like, oh, I wish, I wish it could be. It stayed expensive. there. It stayed there. <laughs> but it's also kind of cool to see, you know, secret secret vault has continued to gain adoption. We've got. Just about two hundred and ten thousand secret secret uh, deposited thirty six k silk minted out. It's about one percent of uh, you know circulating supply of silk minted out in that vault. Any other uh, to round things out here? Any other? I know you said you've been tracking volume for quite some time. I know it's imperfect, but what's been like the annual volume for silk so far? If you had to project it outwards and where, where do you predict that volume will be like two years from now? Well, last time I calculated our shade swap total volume, it was right around 230, which is about a week ago. So we're probably closer to 235 right now. Silk volume probably makes up like 40% of total volume. Um, maybe 50%. I, I can go back and I, I've mostly been looking at shade. I and that's 235 million? Yes, 235 million in spot market. Volume. See, that's that's so crazy that like that 235 million in spot market volume has occurred on shade swap. I it's like one of those stats where <laughs> Austin's chomping at the bit to get like analytics out there right now. I know he's working on this stuff. So it's like just that story is so untold right now. I don't think people realize how much activity there's actually been. Yeah, 230 million in 100% front running resistant volume, uh, privacy preserving, facilitated by privacy preserved uh, liquidity positions. It's pretty cool. And I mean, most of that, most of that silk volume has been through silk USDC, silk ST Atom, silk stake secret, uh, which, tracks with what we were kind of expecting looking at the the largest uh, collateral backing for silk being st adam and stake secret it makes sense that those direct pairings would um you know would have the most action so love the data the the data master himself oh man if you could see how many spreadsheets i have uh i i often find myself wanting to share a bunch of a bunch of stuff and then 
what I usually will do is walk away from it and come back and be like, how many people do I really think are going to care about this? <laughs> uh, maybe like five, six people into those five or six people are like, oh man, this is awesome. The rest of the people are like, I couldn't care less. See, that's where you got to make a YouTube YouTube video. I'm a big believer if you ever have something that technically deep, just make a YouTube video that's like an hour long and like your audience will find it and love it. And the people that don't love it, they'll leave within like 60 seconds and that's completely fine. You know, but then at least it's out there into perpetuity for people to appreciate, you know? That's fair. That, that's a good point. Yeah. My favorite thing I've been tracking has been uh, the shade staking um, and the shade buybacks. Ooh. Actually, I was yeah. working with um, Zadelson from Secret Labs and we were looking at the number of transaction interactions with all the different shape protocol smart contracts in january and shade staking is by far the most popular the second highest was silk shade um silk shade lp staking and then the third highest i found this fascinating was actually the shade finna pool so even though shade fin is not doing the bulk of volume it has the majority of like user interest out of any other pairing which i which i think is actually really really cool interesting could be people trying to scoop up those fina rewards you know yeah my, my theory is that it's more of a uh, retail like it's a it's a smaller trader and user profile but there's a bunch of those people in that smaller profile excited about fina yeah that's that's really interesting i would not have get i mean now that you say it it makes sense but i don't think i would have guessed that to begin with I'll have to forward that data to you. And I know there's some really cool collaborations with Secret Labs on like using that data and continuing to kind of glean insights and drive strategic decision-making based off of that kind of data-driven approach. Yeah, I would love that. Well, I assume no one uh, requested to come nope. up. No requests. I think we can... Oh, there was a hand wave right there. I don't know if that was like a thumbs up like... Oh, that was affirming. Yeah, no you are one. right. No one, no one requested. Oh, he hopped off. That's first. Well, guys, we appreciate your time. Thanks for listening to uh, me and Red rant about data, rant about Silk, rant about Finna. Lots of you know amazing things in the work. Be sure to join the Telegram. Stay active in there. Please, please, please feel free to ask questions. We love to engage with you guys. And as we always like to say, there's plenty of room in the shade. in like Taoism, there's this principle in like Taoism where it's like the more you fight something, the more like the opposite of what you want, like just inevitably it kind of starts to happen. There's this principle in like Taoism where it's like the more you fight something, the more like the opposite of what you want, inevitably it kind of starts to happen. Tripping on the bird app, listening to nerds slap, wondering why the fuck my timeline's so cursed. It's like everybody's holding heavy bags in Web3. That's why they can't fly. They just drowning in the bird bath, fishing for some dry powder. Watch how we ignite the tower, blowing up their bank accounts, forgetting how to fight the power. Y'all don't even realize how deep this shit goes. They preaching open sauce, but don't listen to the code. And now it's mutiny community uprise. There's no 
no more humility, futility, plus size. Motherfuckers leaking from the wrench down to the bare metal. Which side the line you beating out on when the dust settles? Motherfucking west side shit, needle and noose. Sticking with my armory, yam, beta, and bruise. Repping psychedelic artistry, believing the truth. Like these motherfuckers even need a reason to sue? GM fam. Really? Is it worth all the effort? Is it really worth all the fighting? Is it really worth all the drama? And the answer, I think, is a clear no. They started using Zoom, now we finna zoom out Teaching all these plebidites what this game's really all about Little baby bitches when they choose to have fits All you're left with is kibble when you lose all them bits And that kibble's just sawdust, this shit is all rust Not a great look, you're what we call all nuts And I for one did not see that coming Cracking open books, yo, that's a lot of money Meanwhile over here rewiring features More critical thinking, less knee jerk More evolution, less shit coin Preachers pretending to be teachers Y'all just predatory leeches I mean please, just look at the track record A bunch of VC rap fucks Sucking up the cheddar, the recipe is two steps Rinse and repeat Now we all in your butts And we bring in receipts GM fam, have a seat If you're listening to this, my, my plea to you it would be like don't have, don't, don't have to take a side on it Just say like, is it really, is it really worth this war of attrition? It might cost, it might cost us, us a lot, lot more than, than what can be gained game. by like fighting this to the better end. And sometimes it's better to just like move on. Ten spaces. <laughs> <laughs>